podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. Ten years ago this month, Frankel won his last race, the Champion Stakes on Champions Day at Ascot. Joining us today is Ian Mongan, who was riding Frankel's pacemaker bullet train on that historic day. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you very much. Well, thanks very much for joining me. In this podcast, we're going to discuss your role with bullet train um, in bloodstock terms, a three parts brother to Frankel in the Frankel story. Frankel, of course, won 14 races in 14 runs. Bullet train ran in the last six of them as his pacemaker. I'd like to start by going back to, it's 10 years ago now, to Champions Day on the 20th of October, 2012. What do you recall about the build-up to that race? Uh, it was huge. Um, obviously, it was his last race. And uh, there was doubts whether he was going to run, being the ground um, being so soft to Ascot. I don't think Henry was worried about the soft ground as whether it was going to be heavy. And um, I think it was one of Frankel's biggest tests, if I'm honest. Um, he stayed the minor court to well job on, but um, Ascot's a different kettle of fish, really. And he was up against Sirius Zaglis, who loves soft ground. Um, there was a lot of pressure on everyone to, to get in there and hopefully that he would run, you know, because... You know, Ascot was sold out and the decision wasn't really made until that morning. But um, everything fell into place, partly, yeah. The race didn't quite go to plan, but uh, yeah. It, um, no, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was very, not, I'm not going to say stressful, but um, kind of glad it was all over for that day anyway. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, you know, the sort of the stresses. Frankel's races had become almost like, a farewell tour. They were like events, weren't they, the last four or five runs? Yeah. I mean, once we got the pace setting sorted out for him, um, you know, when I first when I first had my pace setting duties for Frankel, uh, it wasn't on bullet train. It was a horse called Picture Editor. And the horse simply wasn't fast enough for leading. So <laughs> Frankel kind of had to go and do his own thing. Um, but once Bullet Train and I started to do things properly, I think 2012 was the best year that we saw out of Frankel. Um, you know, it, it was great. But yeah, every time that Frankel ran, everyone wanted him to win. It was just fantastic. It was, it was great to be part of it. Actually, looking back now, it must be one of the most famous historic races ever run in, in Britain, when you think about it now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've got Baeem running now, and he's he's almost, you know, he's up there with Franco, and it's fantastic, and I can imagine what they're all going through. Jim Crowley's a good friend of mine, and I speak to him often, and, you know, I know what they're going through, but it's, um, but yeah, to be part of that, and um, when you see all the whole racing community get together for one horse, and obviously Henry Cecil as well, you know, he doesn't need any intro, does he? Um, it was just, it was just fantastic, and it was. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Actually, um, I didn't feel as much pressure as what Tom probably did, but I think 
in, in a strange sort of way, myself and Bullet Train probably eased that pressure for him um, in, in the last year that he ran. And on race day, the 405 champion stakes, as you said, Cyrus Desaglas, who'd won the race in 2011. You also had Nathaniel, who'd a previous winner of the King George and the Eclipse. And Frankel then fell out the stalls. How did that affect your role as the jockey of the pacemaker? Yeah, so that's the first time that Frankel kind of fell out the stalls. Uh, the, the plan was uh, myself and Henry and Tom sat down the night before and the plan was being that the ground was so soft um was kind of you know the first two furlongs at Ascot are downhill and it was kind of just try and just ease your way down the hill rather than get into a racing sort of speed and almost try and turn it into a mile race from Swinley Bottom and the fact that Frankel fell out the gates it probably made my job a little bit easier because I had to look round to see where he was and he wasn't where he normally is, which is up behind me. So I decided just to take a pull and let Sirius Acres kind of ease his way to the front. But as soon as I saw Frankel was back into the race and I had another look just to make sure that he wasn't running too free and he was quite relaxed, I was able to go on and do my pacemaking roles then and just sort of nip up the inside of Sirius Acres and be a bit of a menace to him. And, and uh, control the race the way I wanted to from then, which was um, what it was all about with Bullet Train. It was able to to control the, the pace of the race, which would suit Frankel. And um, I think Bullet Train done a fantastic job of that, actually. Well, Frankel went on to win by one and three quarter lengths. It must have been an emotional day as well at the finish when you're sort of arm in arm with Tom Queeley and for both the owner and... As you said, the trainer, Sir Henry Cecil. Yeah, it was, it was the, the roar of the crowd that day was, I've never heard anything like it. Ascot is a very, very large, huge place. And it's just the roar was unbelievable when the horse went and won. And, you know, yeah, me and Tom stood up and we embraced each other because we knew that was the last time we were going to see Franco and, and Bullet Train, you know, he was retired too that day, you know. So it was quite a, it was a very nice story. It was a great way to finish. And um, it, it's difficult because, you know, no matter how good Frankel was, you'd never want him to go out finishing second or third. It just wouldn't feel quite right. And the fact that he won, and he won pretty easily. Um, he'd done enough on that ground. It was a big ask for him, I think, even though he's the best horse in the world. It was coming towards the end of the season. And... Um, it just show, goes to show what a tough horse he was. He was a very, 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 very tough horse and extremely talented, obviously. But um, everything went to plan and everything did go to plan throughout the whole of Frankel's career, I think. It was just a great story. Well, I'd like to move on a bit more to almost the forgotten horse in all the story in, in Bullet Train, which a horse you know very well. Yeah. Uh, as we said earlier, he was he was very, very well bred. He had this, the same mother as, as Franklin Kind, his sire Sadler's Wells was actually um, the grandfather of, of Frankel, his, his Frankel's sire being Galileo. And I think a lot of people forget that Bullet Train won a Lingfield Derby trial, was actually only 13 to 2 when he came actually last in the Derby. But uh, he was actually a well-bred and, and as a three-year-old, was a highly thought of horse. 
I think I think he would have won a Group One. You know, I think I think Bullet Train he had the ability to win a Group One. Um, he just kind of fell into the into the to the role of being Franco's lead horse at home and on the track. He was very very talented. The, the thing about Bullet Train was he he knew his job. He he you could really rely on him. But the, the thing with a pacemaker, um, you, you need a horse that's obviously jumps out the stalls every time he has to be very very quick out the stalls has to have a lot of talent and um he has to do that every time and the bullet train was it, it was strange as soon as as soon as frank will come past me in a race every time you could feel bullet train just kind of saying enough now i've done that and he used to kind of ease up if you like and um the first time i rode bullet train uh trying to make the running I went far too fast um you know I was 10 11 lengths clear the first time and that was I think that was the Queen Elizabeth II at Ascot I think it was and it was to the point where I was just useless in the race I wasn't doing anything although I was 10 lengths clear the rest of the field were just 10 lengths behind doing their own thing so I was just pointless and Henry did tell that to me the day after he, he said I was just um there was no point in me being there. And I'd always thought uh, that pacemakers, you know, you, you rarely see pacemakers outside of a group one or a classic or things like that. And they always go flat out and so fast. And I thought to myself, there's, there's no point in doing that. There's no point being there if people are going to um, just ignore you. There's no point in you being there. There's no point in the pacemaker. And that was evident when Frank O'Neill got beat. Um, it was at the St James's Palace, I think it was. That's when he had rerouted as his rerouted, yeah, rerouted. Um, who went so fast, and it was difficult for Tom because Tom had to make a decision at some point to go and try and close him down. And on that day, I think Tom would admit he made the wrong decision by trying to go after him, which he did. And Frankel, the, just the class horse that he is, he just held on and, and won three quarters of a length. And we know he's 15 lengths better than the field. So with that in mind, after my first outing on bullet train, I will think to myself, I, I'd always saw myself as a good judge of pace in races. When I was riding in normal races, I was a very, very good judge of pace, especially like being dropping horses in. And if there wasn't a lot of pace, I would challenge that. If there was too much pace, I'd wait. I knew my job, pace-wise. And I thought, there's no point in me going out five, six, seven lengths clear. I just needed to go out, make sure Frankel was with me, uh, make sure he was relaxed, and then I could dictate the pace and Tom could just go and do what he wanted to do when the time was right. And that's how we ended up doing it. But bullet train was great for that because every time we asked him to, to get out those stalls early, he, he he would settle for me or he would pick up he'd do everything right and he was fantastic he really was and i think he enjoyed it i think bullet train enjoyed it there, there was no point in me me going like i said going so fast out the stalls one day and then three weeks later trying to get him to do it again because horses aren't silly you know he might just start to think well i'm not going to go flat out here you know he might just half miss the break and then you're in all sorts of trouble but he was enjoying it bullet train and that's what made it so special that we were able, my, myself and Tom were able to do that all the time. Do you remember the first time you sat on bullet train? 
Yeah, that was um, Bullet Day. That was in the Queen Elizabeth, yeah. Oh, so you didn't do any work riding? No, no, I never rode him at home. No, no, never sat on him at home. Um, no, he, his rider was Danny and uh, Shane rode, rode Frankel, who also rode Motivator back in the day as well. And why did um, Frankel need a pacemaker? Because he didn't have one as a, as a two-year-old, did he? It was when he became yeah. a three-year-old, he started having a pacemaker. His Frankel was so exuberant in the way he, the way he ran. He would just destroy horses. He had a lot of speed. He was very, very strong. But you needed, but as he, stepping up in age, you'd have to step up in trip at some point. And when he won, like when he won the, when he won the Guinness, which was fantastic, you couldn't do that all the time. You, you couldn't go and make the running all the time like that, especially if you're going to step up to a minor quarter against older horses as well. Um, but I think what happened was Bullet Train started to lead him at home and Frank would just sit behind him and got very relaxed and got used to it. So almost when Frank ran uh, in his group race, it was like a piece of work for him. And you, you mentioned earlier, Ian, um, Picture Editor was the first pacemaker for Frankel in the Greenham Stakes in April 2011. And you wrote Picture Editor, but reading reports, he wasn't quick enough for Frankel. No, not nearly quick enough. No, he, he, he jumped out the stalls. I got to the front for about two furlongs, I think. But even then, I wasn't going very quick. And Picture Editor had his ears pricked and he was looking around. Um and um, Tom come past me within about three furlongs and had to kind of do his own thing. So, yeah, picture ledger that wouldn't, he wasn't the, the best choice, I don't think, that Henry made that time. But, uh, yeah, I felt it, as though it was my fault, really. But um, I couldn't I couldn't have gone any quicker on picture editor. He just wasn't good enough to, to lead him. But picture editor, picture editor actually um, beat Nathaniel. So he was a yeah, yeah. decent two-year-old. He was a very decent two-year-old, but I just don't, I don't think he trained on. A few questions about a pacemaker. How do you train a pacemaker any differently to um, other horses? Not really. I mean, it, it, I think the pacemakers on the day just, I mean, you can, any horse can be a pacemaker. Like you look at Aidan O'Brien's uh, when he runs in his group races sometimes, like in the Derby, they always have pacemakers. They're very good horses in their own right but they've been used to put pace in the race. And you can send any horse to the front, um, especially when they've got that ability. The jockey just goes quicker than he normally would and you make, you make sure that this, he's going at a very, very good pace. But I think the thing with Frankel was his pacemaker or his, his lead horse, um, well, obviously bullet training, but he used to lead him home too. And Frankel was so used to, sitting in behind bullet train up the gallops every day and working with him. It was almost his comfort zone. Um, he knew where he was. And, and the same with bullet train, bullet train, you Frank always behind him. They go out every day together, um, you know, being brothers and that. It was just, it just worked. You don't specifically train a, pay, a pacemaker. You, you, could, you could always, you know, if you wanted a pacemaker in a mile race, a normal race, you could use something that runs over six furlongs and just make that sort of do the pace, but you wouldn't necessarily train them to be a pacemaker at home. Um, but I, I, I consider bullet train to be his lead horse rather than his sort of his pacemaker. I think he's his lead horse. And bullet train didn't have any other races 
in 2012, apart from racing against Franco, was it, was it any other runs considered for him? No, I don't think so. No, he was just in, you know, we were, we were obviously keeping him fit and well and sound to do the job. Um, bullet train was just as, as important as Franco, really, because, you know, if, I don't think there was any point being the same owner as well. Um, there was no point in going to try and win things with Bullet Train. Bullet Train had his job to do and he was doing it very, very well. Um, you know, it was important to, to to look after Bullet Train rather than run him every every other week, you know. But I do believe he would have won a Group 1 at some point, but he, he had a, I think he had a bigger role to play, which he played brilliantly. And um, the fact that he was he led him, frankly, so well, um, there was no point in risking him otherwise and not being able to turn up at the races with bullet train, and, and again trying to go back to a different horse to do it—that would be very, very difficult to do. And those Group Ones you raced in in 2012, and the Queen Elizabeth II in 2011. What do you think was Bullet Train's best performance of that year? I would say probably the Queen Anne. Queen Anne. Royal. You came six in that race of eleven. Yeah. Now I came six in that, but that was the for, for me that was Frankel's best race. That was that was unbelievable. That was um, Frankel won by eleven lengths that day. Yeah, eleven lengths and not stopping. <laughs> yeah, eleven lengths and not stopping. That was. Uh, but the closest I got to Frankel was the Sussex Stakes. Actually, I think it was four or five runners. Might have been five runners, and um, uh, Henry. This was before the judgment, actually. Uh, which I didn't ride bullet training. I rode twice over in that. Um, yeah, the Sussex Stakes, uh, Henry said to Tom, you know, win as easy as you can and, um, you know, look after him, win as easy as you can, not too far. And that was a, that was the closest I got to him because, you know, Frankel was still in second gear, I think, and the bullet train wasn't that far behind him. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, yeah, but going back to the Queen Anne, <clears throat> that was a great race when Frankel... When you come past me, it was just unreal the way he picked up and he just put daylight between. He made everyone, every horse in that race look pretty average and they weren't. It was a very, very good race. And then in August 2012, you ran against both Frankel and Bullet Train when you were riding twice over. Yeah, my very good friend twice over. Yeah, my, my Group 1 horse, um, which I had the pleasure of winning uh, the judgment on. Uh, yeah, so obviously I had to ride. I had to ride him, and Eddie Ahern rode bullet train that day. Um, yeah, so I had to give up my my uh, pacemaking duties that day to ride the good friend of mine twice over. He was a lovely, beautiful big horse, and one of one of Henry's favourites. If not, I'd say he's probably more of a favourite than Frank was <laughs> twice over. He was a very, very good friend to Henry. Well, bullet train ran against. Um... Frankel on six occasions, and poor old Excelebration managed five five times and came four. I came second four times. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's hard to take, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, Excelebration, fantastic, fantastic horse. So much ability. Just a shame you had to bump into the world's greatest horse at that time. But you know, someone has to, I guess. Yeah, in celebration. Yeah, obviously, obviously, I was, I was there with the celebration. Used to come past me too. Um, yeah, 
yeah, very good. Very, it was that, that year was a fantastic year for for top class horses. Um, I don't think we've seen a year like that since, in all honesty. Um, all the horses that finished behind Frankel uh, are all fantastic sires. They're all they're all great sires now. Um, that was a very very strong year, and it just goes to show how good Frankel was to to beat them fourteen times, really. And I'd like to find out what it was like to work for Sir Henry Cecil. How long did you work for him? So I was there probably about four years, I think, four, maybe five years. Um, 2008, I first joined. I picked up a couple of spare rides for him at um, places like Folkestone and Warwick uh, on, on, on some fillies. And I, I, funny enough, I, I won a few of them. And he called me up out of the blue one February. 2009, I think it was, February, called me out the blue and said he wanted to be part of the team. And I was just amazed, really, because I, I kind of wasn't going anywhere in my career. Um, I kind of hit that stage where I was just kind of riding not very good horses and it was hard work and wasn't getting many winners. Um, but um, Henry gave me another lease of life and he, uh, he was such a gentleman to ride for. He was absolutely, he was so calm all the time and yeah, I've ridden for, you know, I rode sort of 16 years and I rode for so many trainers and he's the only trainer in all that time that you would never, ever get any orders from. He would never give you any orders when you, I, I know it sounds strange, but he kind of liked his horses to be ridden in a specific way. He'd like them not to be pulling. He'd like them uh, to be given every chance. And also, he'd rather you come a little bit wide than try and go for a run up the inside. That's what he always said, you know, so there's no uh, excuses. And he'd never, you know, so four years I rode for him, and I don't think I ever got an order from him on how to ride a horse. It was just crazy. I think if you're riding for Henry, he gave you a lot of confidence. Um, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're riding for Henry, you knew you were doing something right. And it made us better riders because, you know, Things happen in races, you know. If you're gonna, if you are told to to go and make the running, you're told to sit second or third. Things happen where you can't do that, and you've got to do your own thing. Um, it was just great to ride for him. You know, you can go out there and just ride the race as it is. You know what kind of horse you're on, and you have to just ride the race how you feel fit. And it worked pretty much all the time. But he was a real gentleman. It was great. I enjoyed going up there um, twice a week. I used to go up. And I'd ride a couple of lots out and then we'd go and have breakfast. We'd always be doing a crossword. And we wouldn't necessarily talk about horses. We'd sit there and do the crossword for about half an hour and then go and ride a couple more horses. And that was it. And we saw them at the races. But no, it was, uh, I was very, very privileged and lucky to be, to be part of that, you know, part of Henry and his, uh, his last hurrah, if you like. Was he the perfect trainer for a horse like Frankel? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, he, I think he'd done everything right by him. I think other trainers may may have took him to an arc, may have took him abroad, um, may have gone, may have gone to America, maybe. I don't know, but he was. I think he was the perfect trainer for him because Frankel was. He wasn't easy, although he looked easy on the track. Although he'd done everything very, very easy, and he wasn't easy at home to begin with, especially. Um, and I think once he buddied up with Bullet Train, I think he um, he turned into an exceptional horse. And I think 
Henry got the best out of Frankel that you could possibly have got out of him, absolutely. So you think he was right in not running him in races like the Derby and the Arc then? I think so, yeah. I think everything, every, every decision he made was perfect. I mean, who who, who is anyone to question Henry? He has a, absolutely he's been there, done it. He knew everything there was to know about horses, about Frankel, and I think he was right to do everything. And, I, and his and his legacy shows really. You know, Frankel now he's an, he's an absolutely outstanding stallion. Now he's still he's breaking records. Uh, and his his sons and daughters are absolutely fantastic. And it's just, I think I think Henry done he got the best out of Frankel absolutely. And did he have the ideal owner in Khalid Abdullah as well? Oh yeah, they're very he was a very loyal man and very, very good friends of Henry. He just left him to it. Khalid Abdullah was a you know, obviously a, a fantastic horseman himself, fantastic breeder, and he's done so much for the, the world of horse racing. Um, I've written plenty of winners for him, obviously twice over. Um yeah, he just left it to Henry to get on with and you know, and that was that. Well, after the the race at um, Ascot on Champions Day, Henry uh, famously said, he's the best I've ever had, the best I've ever seen. I can't believe that in the history of racing, there's ever been better. I'd agree with that. Uh, certainly, yeah, certainly a flat horse, yeah, I'd agree with that. He was he, he would have won a group one over five furlongs, Frankel, in his early days. Um, he, he, he was just exceptional. He really was. The way he used to just the, these group ones that he was running in, it's very very difficult to win a group one. It really is but to win to win what twelve of them. He and the and the manner in which he done it was unbelievable. The guineas were spectacular to watch. Um, funny enough, the, the time of the race was not the quickest guineas of the other thing, but the manner the, the manner in which he done it, he just burned them off. From 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 halfway and watching the race, you would think it was a you know as a sort of a November cold time, looking at as a maiden where they're all strung out on the softest ground, and that's what it looked like. He just made very very good horses look ordinary. He was just uh he had he had some engine, frankly, and I wish I'd have got to ride him, but I didn't. <laughs> I should have put my foot down and asked, "Can I please just give him a trot, please?" <laughs> So you never sat on him at all, work riding or anything? No, never sat on him, no. Never sat on him. I patted him once over the door and he went to bite me. And then I walked so, away. So what would have happened if Tom Queedy had awoken up one morning with a bad cold or had, had not been well one morning? Would Do you think that you would have got the ride on the day? Uh, honestly, probably not. I don't think I would have done. I think I would have stayed on bullet train. Uh, he bullet train is such an important role. I think I think it would have gone to someone else. And to be honest, would I have wanted that pressure? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would have wanted that pressure. It may be maybe in the Sussex stage with five runners, but uh, I might have pleaded with him, pleaded if I could ride him. But um, I don't know what would have happened. Let's, well, let's, everyone, let's pretend I would have. Yeah. And let's I, pretend I, you would have done. Yeah, yeah let's. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, of course I would have done. <laughs> well, everyone knows where Frankel is now. If you're in racing, so he's at Banstead Manor Stud near Newmarket. Uh, but where where is Bullet Train these days? 
the bullet train, well, he's in Ireland now in Woodfield Farm Stud, and they have, they have a website, and I had a look on there the other week, and he's got a lovely big page up there, and um, there's a YouTube video about him as well. I think he's doing quite well. I think they're pushing in more sort of jumps uh, side at the moment, but um, he was in Kentucky for a while. And he's side over 140 winners, individual winners, so he's he's done okay. Not not quite as uh, not quite as good as Franklin, not not pulling in the the quarter of a million stud fee every every time. But um, yeah, I think he's doing okay. I'm not sure how much he is a covering. I'd say probably three four thousand maybe. Um, but no, he's had a, he's had a he's had a successful time, and I hope he uh, I hope he, I'd like to see him again one day actually if I'm ever over in Ireland. Or, Try and pop down to Woodfield Farm Stud and and go up and see him. But um, yeah, no, he's uh, he's busy anyway. He's busy, and then hopefully enjoying life. And what, and what about um, what about yourself? Uh, you're keeping busy as well. I'm busy. Yeah, I'm assistant trainer to my wife Laura. Um, we have a small yard Nepsum. We I've got uh, what we have? We've got sixteen, seventeen horses here. Uh, we have a fair share of winners, but we had a obviously we won the St Ledger um, in 2016 with Law. That was a fantastic, fantastic day that was. So Laura's a, a classic winning trainer. Um, yeah, so we do well. We run a nice business here. We've got a good team of girls, and um, yeah, we're busy. Yeah, we're busy. We we enjoy it. So we got a fair share of winners with the what little horses we have, but. Uh, Yes, I'm, I'm still, I still ride out now and again. Not as much as I should, but I've put a bit of weight on, obviously. Not being a, not being a jockey anymore. But uh, no, uh, life, life's good. Well, thank you very much, Ian, for joining me. I've really enjoyed talking to you about a horse that everyone's forgotten about, really, in Bullet Train, and for sharing your memories of riding in all those Group 1s against uh, Frankel the Wonder Horse. Yeah, no, very welcome. I enjoyed it. It's nice to... Nice to talk about good times. Yeah, it's, it's good memories. Hard to believe it's 10 years ago, I guess. I know, yeah. Now I feel old. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.